Howdy, online family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We're going to be hearing today from Pastor Michael Lockstam for, as he concludes our latest sermon series, What's the Church For? A study in 1 Timothy. We've prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting our community here on the internet. We hope God uses it to both encourage and challenge you. We also encourage you to serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. Well, you're almost there. You're so close to the finish line. This is the final episode of the First Timothy series. We've learned what the church is for these past five weeks. We've learned that we are for a faith built on truth, peaceful worship, modeling that truth through integrity, enjoying God's good gifts, and serving those that might not be highly valued. All of those truths we've discussed are built on one thing, hope. Hope in Jesus, in what He is, what He has done, and what He is to do in the future. This gospel message fuels us not only to love one another, but to share that love with the community we find ourselves in. The church helps deliver the gospel, and the gospel is for the people. Let's listen in together as Pastor Michael explains from 1 Timothy chapter 6. We are for content hope in our eternal King. That's a lot to go through in one morning. <laughs> I, I sent the video to the other pastors uh, a couple of weeks ago. I said, what do you think about this? And they're like, well, I'm sobbing. I guess it'll work. <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, I've just got to keep my head down and not watch it so that I can pray. And that did not, that did not help at all. <laughs> oh, man. So this morning we're closing up our series, What's Church For? And at the end of the book, at the end of this letter, we see that what church for is for is hope, and not just hope, but we're for a content hope in our eternal king. And as we go through this, it's going to seem kind of sideways, and we're not quite sure, but I hope that as we get to the end of this chapter, you'll agree with me that this is the big idea that we're going to be landing on. Um, and if you want to follow along, if you need a Bible, we've got the story Bibles here as our gift to you. And that's and this First Timothy chapter 6 is on page 832 if you want to turn there. And as we're turning there, I'm going to pray again. <laughs> Jesus, you are king. You are in control. Lord, the sorrow that we feel, you felt first. You're aware of our weakness. You entered into it yourself, becoming a man. And Lord, we're grateful for your example and for the comfort that you give to us. And Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word, God, we pray that you would speak clear, that you'd draw us close to yourself, and that you'd glorify your name and your name alone through our time here together. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning. And I'm going to read beginning in verse 3. Half, it's about halfway through verse 3. You see your, your Bible did a little bit of a, a weird thing with the paragraph verse breaks. The verses aren't inspired. We added those later to help us keep track. 
So don't let that freak you out. But we're going to start there in the middle of a uh, verse. It's actually the middle of verse two and going on into verse three. It says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we, can take, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So in this first section, we see that our creed is contentment with Godliness. If you remember that this whole letter was written to a young pastor with some instructions. Paul had set up this church and he wasn't there anymore. And he says, hey, I want, I'm writing you because I want to come and visit you. I want to help you get things squared away. But if I don't make it, I want you to know what you ought to be doing. And all the way back at the very opening of the letter, he says, the first thing that I want you to do is I want you to tell the people who are teaching foolish things to stop teaching foolish things. Tell them to stop. Now we're here in chapter 6, and he's finishing that idea. Tell him to stop. This is what you ought to be teaching. So he, he starts this section identifying some more of the teaching that's been confusing the people. And he's saying, hey, hey, teach and urge these things. What is he, teaching, what is he urging him to teach and urge? Everything we've talked about. <laughs> <laughs> the whole chapter, the whole book of the Bible is like, hey, 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 all these things I've told you, you ought to pay attention. Any parents, can you identify with that feeling? I told you what to do, you ought to go do it now. <laughs> so that's what he's saying. Hey, teach and urge these things. And if anybody teaches something different, if anybody tells you to do something opposite of what I told you to do, whether that's what you would prefer to do or not, don't do that. Do what I told you to do. Can you identify it? Amen. Yeah, we got it. All right, we're rolling. Rolling strong this morning. And, he, and it's not just what Paul had taught him, is it? He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and that does not agree with the sound words of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just Paul's word. We're talking about a, a, a system of belief and understanding that accords with what Jesus taught us to do. If anybody's trying to get you not to follow Jesus, don't follow those people. <clears throat> so, and all of these things are according to godliness. If anybody's doing that, he's saying these people who are trying to get you not to follow Jesus, he is puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. <clears throat> he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So he's saying, hey, hey, the doctrine is important. You've got to make sure that the doctrine lines up with what Jesus taught. 
And if your doctrine is leading you not to follow Jesus or choosing you not to have a loving faith based upon what's true, then you have to reject that. Arguing about words and arguing about doctrine has its place, but if it's distracting you from the mission of what God's called you to do, which is to love people, to show faith, to serve those who might not be valued, then you've missed the point. And he's saying specifically about these teachers, these guys are teaching, they're trying to get you to follow them because they think that this is how they're going to establish themselves in the world. They're, they're teaching for gain for themselves. They want the paycheck. And he's already talked about, hey, if you want to be an elder in the church, one of the qualifications of being an elder is that you don't love money. You're not completely tied to money. Not every decision that you make is based on what the bottom line is. Now, that's not to say that those of you with, with gifts that are very methodical, and, and, and I'm thinking of you, Dad, because <laughs> you and I are complete opposites. Dad's an accountant. He goes by the numbers. If the numbers don't add up, then we don't do it. And that is a gift because I'm like, whatever we want to try, let's make it happen. <laughs> we'll figure out the money on the back end of it. The church needs both of us together in unity. <laughs> right? And sometimes we'll have conflict, but we're working together to love people and accomplish the mission that God has called us to do. But these people in Ephesus were just trying to pad their own pockets. And that's not what it's about. The fruit of unhealthy teaching is mistrust of others. It's not just that these people are like trying to pad, they're like, hey, don't listen to any other teachers. Anybody else who's reading the Bible and they're not reading it like me, they gotta be wrong. And I see, I'm heartbroken to say, I see some of these tendencies in how we talk about um, denominations. Don't trust those Methodists. Don't trust those Baptists. They don't know what they're talking about. But I'm so excited and blessed that we, as a Karis Fellowship Church, can partner with a Southern Baptist Church and share the building because we agree on what the mission is. We agree that we're here to follow Jesus and to serve the community and to love people into a relationship with their loving God. And so we can say, yeah, borrow the building on Saturday. We want to encourage you to do that. So if your denomination or if your doctrine is causing you, I don't know that I trust those people. They call themselves Christians. And, it, and you do need some discernment. There are people who call themselves Christians that just ain't. But... If, we, if we're all in our own little corners going, I don't know if I trust them. They're not reading that scripture right. If you're arguing about the words and, 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 and you're missing the mission, then you've missed it. So the fruit of unhealthy teaching is mistrust of others, other genuine believers who have been commissioned by the same master. But not only that, let's realize, so they, and this is just a picture of you know, the armchair theologians, the dudes who will sit in the back and go, well, I think that this is how you ought to read these things, and blah, 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 blah. And you hear those guys, and like, man, they sound really, really smart, but they're in the office all day long. They don't actually talk to another human being at all. So what's the, the test is, are you on mission? Like you can read the Bible. There's a lot of people who do really, really good work reading the Bible really, really well. They've got a lot of really confusing words and it's hard to read sometimes. But my question is always, are they on mission? Are they in the couch at the desk, you know, scribing away? Are they out serving people? Causing middle school drama? You can't, you don't talk to men. Don't talk, they don't know what they're talking about. Mm. No. We're on the same team. 
So not only is the fruit of unhealthy teaching mistrust of others, there's also a cost of following Jesus that's great. And that great cost might lead us to want to shore up ourselves. What does he say? What's the encouragement here in verse 6? But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Hey, moms, this verse is for you. For we brought nothing into the world and we, can take, we cannot take anything out of the world. You hear that line from moms. It's phrased a little bit different most of the time. But God, mm, you got it. God said it first. I'm just saying. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, their desire, what they're working for, their, their, their passion is, I want to be rich. Those people fall into temptation. They get distracted into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. The love of money, the desire, the unending desire for money is a root, a root cause at the base of it of all kinds of evil. There's kind of no limit to how deep the depravity goes. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. They're causing themselves more trouble by doing this. But hey, the command, the commission is, hey, be generous. Being generous because God has given you all things. That's a great cost. Caring for people costs you something. But that's what Jesus has asked us to do. Moms, no. Caring for people costs you something. Um, and then taking the time to learn, to, to, to really sit with people and try to understand their story, to sit with Jesus and understand what it is that he's done in the world, to study his word. All of these things take time. And so we might say, you know, I need to, I need to get a return on this. If I've studied a lot, you know, I kind of got a different perspective on things and I need to figure out how to, how to make sure that I get a paycheck for this. I need a, a high ROI for this. And that's where the false teachers have fallen into a trap. And hey, as somebody who's a bivocational minister, as somebody who works full-time and then also volunteers for the church, this is real. I've sat across from Pastor Todd and said, hey, I'm just trying to figure out my career. Serving in the church, calling myself a pastor and saying, I just got to figure out how to make the next paycheck. It's real. There isn't a man that's above it. But he and I sitting together, he and I and Ryan all working together the, the conversations that we have had about stay focused on the mission. The calling that God's given you is greater than the needs that you might have right now. Without that man, without Ryan in the back, I don't think any of us would have stood by ourselves. It's the team working together to call each other to accountability. And it's hard. And that's what Paul's talking about. But contentment is, is the key word here. Our creed is contentment with godliness. So what is contentment? And, and this is as basic of a definition as I could get. Contentment is being satisfied that God sees and will meet your needs. That's the message of the video. We see you. The church sees that mothering is hard. 
The church sees that PTSD is hard, sees that suffering and all of the things that go into life being hard, we see that those things are hard. But contentment is knowing that God sees those things. God sees the suffering in the world. And he's going to provide for your needs. It doesn't always make it easier. It doesn't always make the pain go away. But the invitation is, will you trust me? Because he entered into the world in a manger, as a, the lowest of estates that he could possibly have entered into, and yet we call him a king because of what he accomplished on the cross, because of his promise to return. And that's actually where our attention gets focused to next. So let's continue reading here. In verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who is his testimony to in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Amen. <laughs> hey, Timothy. Our fight now is for our eternal king. The, the daily in the trenches of life and faith. And God, you're asking me to go talk to them? You're asking me to listen to their story? If I go and ask them how they're doing, I'm going to be here for three hours and I'm still not going to know what's going on. Flee that selfishness and building your own kingdom, but pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. I'll just, I'll just say cursorily, these are a lot of the big ideas that we've done over the last five chapters is these things that he says to pursue. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. Is this, if, if, if it wasn't hard, do you think he would have to say, fight? Do you think the imagery would be, it's a battle? It's a battle against our sin. He says, flee these things. It's a battle against our sin, but it's also a battle for the character of our Savior, the one who has accomplished the victory. Because he says, flee one time. Flee these things. Don't do that stuff. We, can, we, can, we, we get a lot of lists, a lot of Christians who say, this is all the bad stuff. Don't do the bad stuff. Bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff. It says, flee one time. But what does he say? He says, flee. And then he says, pursue and fight and take hold. Be known for what you're for. It's not just that you don't do the bad things. It's not just that you're not a selfish person. It's that you're not... I'm not selfish, but are you selfless for other people? It's not just doing, it's not just avoiding doing the bad things. It's also seeking to have the character of Christ that kneels down and washes the disciples' feet to care for the people. 
It's not just knowing the truth, it's also living the truth out. Flee, yes, but also pursue these things and fight for the good fight and take hold, grab it. The eternal life to which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I'll just pause to point again. This is accountability among elders. Remember the promises that you made. He's calling him to the carpet here. And he says, he takes it another level up. He says in verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God. And he starts going off on this Paul thing. He gets so excited about talking about the presence of God that he has to explain what the presence of God is. And you almost miss what the imperative, what he's telling Timothy to do here. He says, I charge you in the presence of God, God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. He's talking about, hey, remember when Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate? We read it this morning. He's standing there, Pontius Pilate, the dude who gets to, to give the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Is he, is he going to stay alive or is he going to be crucified? He says, are you the king of the Jews? Talking to Jesus. What does Jesus say? You've said it. That's what everybody's saying about me. You've said it. And Pilate's like, don't you realize what they're accusing you of? Don't you realize they're going to try to kill you for this? No reply. What is Jesus' confession before Pontius Pilate? I'm the king, and I don't have to prove it. I'm not here to defend myself. You've made the confession on my behalf. And whatever the consequences of those, I'll take it. That's a lot of confidence. That's a savior who knows what he's doing. So what's the commandment? That Paul gives to Timothy, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. And then he goes into this big praise God, like we sang this morning. He says, be focused on Jesus, our eternal king, and keep the commandment unstained. King's returning with our victory in hand. What, what, what does it mean to keep the commandment unstained? What's the commandment? What is the commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples? What's that? Yeah, he, he, he told them to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What did he command them to do? The commission is to make disciples. The commandment was to love God and to love other people. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. The second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. Keep the commandment unstained. So this is similar to what my shirts look like at the end of a work day. Um, I, I am in the dirt, I'm in ponds. There's a lot of dirt when I get home at the end of the day. It's, it's, it's yucky. And those shirts are stained. They're white shirts. I don't know why they want me to wear white shirts, but that's what the uniform is. And so I come home and, and I, I run them all through. Well, Jesse does more often than I. Bless her heart. <laughs> run them all through bleach and try to get those stains out. And then I run them all through like the super soap that we buy special that's like three times the amount of normal soap. And it gets them pretty white, but those shirts still have stains on them. How do we keep, keep the things unstained? And man, it's, it's a challenge to keep things unstained. What's the commandment we're trying to keep unstained? 
To love the Lord and to love our neighbor. Hey, that's dirty work. The commandment that we keep unstained is to be dirty with people. If you are unstained and untouched by the world, then you have kept the wrong commandment unstained. It's a subtle difference. Am I, am I preserving myself? Am I, trying, am I trying to isolate myself from the world? Am I trying to protect myself from, the, from these evil influences? And, and there is a place for that. That's scriptural. That happens. But hey, the commandment is to love the Lord your God first. Yes, you will be sanctified in that process. You will be closer to God in that process. But also to love your neighbor as yourself. To embrace people who aren't spiritually mature. Who don't know the right answers. Who are doing the wrong things. And Caring for people will cost you something. They're going to hurt your feelings. They're going to take advantage of you. But who are we looking at as our example? Jesus, our eternal king. You said it. That kind of confidence we can love our neighbor as ourselves. So are you fighting more than you are fleeing? Flee once, yes, but also fight and grasp and take hold and pursue. Are you fighting for the faith, for the character of our Savior more than you're fleeing just the bad stuff? And what are you keeping unstained? Are you isolating yourself from people to keep yourself from getting hurt? Are you pressing into Jesus and letting him forgive people through you. Let's continue reading. He's got one more section here, and it's really going to tie these two sections together for us. As for the rich, in verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradiction of what's falsely called knowledge, for by professing it some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Our hope is in the God who richly blesses. Our creed is for contentment with godliness. Our fight now is for the eternal king. And our hope is in God who richly blesses. What we need is an eternal perspective on our earthly needs and our desires. The commandment to rich people isn't just a commandment to rich people. It actually is a commandment he's given to everybody. And any one of us can follow. What does he tell them to do? He tells them to be generous. <clears throat> to do good, to be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. Like all of those things are things that Jesus told everybody to do. He's not giving the rich people a special commandment. But he's saying, hey, don't put your confidence, don't put your contentment in that which you have amassed in your bank account. And this is real, real hard. 
Do we trust our eternal king with our fate more than we trust our balance of our bank account? And there are people who have a huge balance that trust in Jesus, and their contentment is with him. And there are people who have nothing and still trust in that little bit that they have and are trying to... Chasing it down. It's not the amount that you have, but it's your attitude towards what you have. Do we have an eternal perspective that all of these things belong to God and he's let us borrow them for a means to use for his good pleasure? And it can go either way. And there are some generators online, some calculators online that, that can tell you, you put in your income and how much you make during the year, and they'll tell you where you are as far as world income. I was going to tell you what it is, but I can't verify that any of that's accurate. But they, they, they made it so that it's startling, um, which makes me not trust it so much. But for us in America, think about air conditioning. <laughs> For generations, for millennia, since the dawn of time. Do you think that Adam did not long for air conditioning? And it is standard in every dwelling here. We live in luxury. All of us drove some kind of a vehicle here. And that is a source of wealth. And then, not only that, but we live in a community that is so wealthy that they'll just pave the roads for you. These things are un unprecedented, not unprecedented, but the, the, the degree of wealth that we enjoy today, just as an average American, is, is, is astounding when you look at world history, much less the world scene as it is today. We're so richly blessed. But if all we had were the clothes on our back, where would our hope be? Would we be grateful for the only shirt that we owned because it was a gift from Jesus? Or if we were in the biggest mansion ever, would we acknowledge that this is all coming from God and ought to be used for his good purpose? In either case, the commandments are the same. We need to have an per eternal perspective on our earthly needs and desires. And he closes with this line, which I think is profound, and it'll close up our time. He says, O oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. So it's, it's this idea of when I think that I know something and I'm just dying to, to, to tell everybody that they're all wrong because I know something about God, those people have been like the teenage driver. <clears throat> They've swerved off of what the faith is. They've got whiplash. They've lost it. Because the knowledge of God leads us to humility and not pride. The closer that we're coming to God, the more that we're learning about God, the more we realize what we don't know about him. Our education into the mysteries of God draw us closer to him because we are more hungry to hear what it is. I don't get I, I know that this is true, but how is this true with this other thing that I know is true? And you're, you're eternal, and yet you're here present. And how do these ideas... Knowledge, true knowledge of God leads us to humility and going, I don't know. I don't know how this God who is transcendent, who is above all of creation, has entered into time and wants to talk to me this afternoon and cares about what I'm worried about. 
who holds the stars in his hand, but is concerned to know what's going on in my life. Understanding that compassion draws us closer to him, and that is what he's saying to Timothy. But if you're using a story Bible this morning, I want to draw your attention to something I normally wouldn't draw your attention to. If you look at that last section, grace be with you. There's, there's a little footnote there at the end of that. Grace be with you. It's a little three. And if you look at the bottom of the page, there's a note there that says, the Greek for you is plural. So as we've been studying this church, as we've been studying what church is for, we've been doing it in the context of a letter from one pastor to another. And sometimes pastors talk funny. Like, they're hard to understand sometimes. I get it. And so when we're reading this letter, we can say, like, oh, this is just pastors. You know, they're talking shop. They're weird. They talk theology, whatever. But hey, as he's closing this letter, he says, grace be with y'all. He's writing to Timothy. He says, grace be with y'all. He's not just saying, hey, Timothy, grace be with you as you lead the church. He's saying, Timothy, I know you're going to share this with other people. I know the rest of your church is going to be aware of the content of this letter. So grace be with y'all as you're going through this and as you're trying to learn it. So where is our hope placed? Is it eternal? And how is that impact? How is your, your, your perspective and your hope, how is that impacting your life day to day? What are you investing in? Who are you investing in? And as you ask where your hope is placed, is yours the biblical perspective and what adjustments need to be made? And this is hard. This is hard work that you can't do alone. I think the Spirit of God wants to speak to you, and I think the Spirit of God has a really special way of speaking to you through other people that are inhabited by the Spirit of God. Especially as two people who are inhabited by the Spirit of God are sharing with each other what's going on and coming together around the Word of God. Man, the Spirit has a field day with that. And that's what church is for. We're for content hope in our eternal King, and we have to work that out together. And as we're closing this series, church, I'm so encouraged to have seen these principles as we've studied through 1 Timothy. It's, it's been so encouraging to see these things in real life, in your lives, and our life together as a church. As we talk about serving those who might not be valued, we've done it. And people would be embarrassed if I, if I pointed them out in particular for the service that they're doing in the church, but it's happening. And I'm excited to be with you in this as we move forward in service to our eternal King. Would you pray with me? Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God in His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.